Hello and welcome to the Rigori Podcast, the show that's as well-oiled and reliable as the Fiorentina defence. I'm Giancarlo Rinaldi and I'm truly miserable and I'm joined by my cousin Marco, who I suspect is probably feeling the same. Marco, is that correct? I think I'm I'm going to challenge you. I think I'm more miserable than you. <laughs> well, well, we'll see about that. Give us 20 minutes and then we'll let the listeners decide who's the most who's the most grumpy. I think the one thing we can see is that there won't be any extra time in this podcast because yeah. that was not kind to either of us this week. Yes. But uh, but first first things first just to get little matters out the way and tease, you know, this is the way we do things in the podcast where we know what people want to hear, but we leave that to the end of the show. Tonight there was a little matter of the, the Derby d'Italia, Inter against Juventus and Inter got the got the win. I think I think they deserved it on on the balance of yeah, play. So. But um, it was a, it was a title game really, and a Puro Gatti seems to have a Freddy Katz, as I like to call him, seems <laughs> to have this knack of uh, of putting the ball into his own net. I mean, he was he was terribly unlucky um, on this occasion, and th- there were other things though. That I mean, a couple of things I wanted to highlight really was did we see a contender I don't think this award exists but did we see a contender for pass of the season? Yeah I was going to say that you know there's something you know get people get excited about goals but that pass from Chalanoglu was something incredible it's just you know it's the sort of press the through ball button on, on FIFA it was the perfect weight perfect pass and it would it was almost led to a goal which it deserved from the pass. It, it did deserve a goal. I mean it was it was eye of the needle stuff from I don't know, forty, fifty yards through to De Marco and then the ball in was was good and it was a great saving tackle. I mean, I think it kinda typified a lot of what both these teams are about UV more than Inter, I would say, the great defending. But it did also, I think, highlight the the shortcomings of Juventus a bit as well because actually Fiorentina troubled Inter more in terms of goal scoring chances if you can call a feeble penalty um, troubling but no, in terms of shots on goal you know the, the thing was Juventus did have a long time after that to try to get back into the game but I think it did show, I mean against undoubtedly one of the if not the best defence in Italy that, that they struggled to, I mean, I think Sommer maybe had one save to make, I think there was maybe one shot on target and two or three off target. I mean, the best one possibly, Agati blast mm. that, that went just wide. But it felt more likely that Inter were going to catch Juve on the break than Juve were going to equalise. Is that a fair summation, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I think it's, you know, we've discussed ad nauseum probably how Juve set up and I think it is a bit, like that. What what struck me tonight is that Vlaovic loves a moan, but I can kind of understand it when you know he doesn't. He's not going to get a lot of chances playing in that team the way that Juve play. So um, if he doesn't get that perfect ball or something, then uh, he will have a moan. Although he had a brilliant chance in the first half and completely fluffed his lines. There. Well, he did. That that did undermine some of his complaints because he did get the perfect yeah. ball and he then proceeded. His first touch was more like a shot and the chance was gone. I, I think the thing is, though, with a striker like him, 
with, with any striker really is, you know, especially a Juventus team, you know you're not going to get that many chances. Yeah. Um, and so the, there was huge pressure. And he looked up for it, almost too up for it at the start. And, and you know, they, they play, a, I mean, you know, I've become a bit of a convert to Juventus and, that I, you know, I don't find them quite as painful to watch as I used to. There are, you know, they have got nice players. I, just, I, I find it a bit sad to see, I know Chiesa's on his way back from injury, but I do think Italy needs him to be playing all the time yeah. and ideal, ideally in a team that, is a bit more expansive than Juventus are because you know they're they're great on the break when you know when they get ahead, um, and they have got creative players. They have got good goal scorers, and as I say, you know, load that defence because Bremer made an amazing tackle and Chesney had a yeah. world class mm-hmm. save at the end. To den- and there was only Arnautovic, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, it was still a, a great great save to keep them in the contest, and that's what they've got is that fighting character. But you know the flair side of things, which I'm sure Allegri doesn't care about. But they were they were found short in that. Yeah. And you know, as you see, you know Vlaovic in a way. You know, if you flipped round teams and he was playing for Inter, not that you know. I think Inter did were happy enough to play on the break themselves when they got a goal ahead. But the thing was, they did get the goal ahead, and they did also look like they could add to it. You know, Chalinoglu, besides the pass that he made, it was one of the best games I've seen him have. Because I'll be honest with you, during his time at Milan, I thought, what's the fuss about, really? I didn't never saw him play. You know, it was a game as a reputation as a free-kick specialist. He wasn't particularly good at that. But now it's developed into, you know, one of the most complete, certainly in Serie A, one of the most complete midfield players there is. He, he hit the post, he had some lovely touches. I mean, yeah, a couple of things went wrong for him, but, you know, that's going to happen when you are trying to be creative. But, you know, I think he deserved more than anyone to be on the winning side tonight. And it did, it was more important probably for Inter because they've got more big, tough games coming up in Europe and there's still a chance, you know, I, I, I don't imagine no Fino or La Fine or whatever is the, the UV motto and I'm sure they could still haul themselves back into it without the, without the distraction of Europe. But tonight did confirm, to my eyes anyway, that Inter are the strongest team in Italy. Yeah, I think that's fair, definitely. I mean, it was a, it was a weekend, it was a curious weekend, Really, because a lot of games with no goals in them whatsoever, three three goalless draws: Empoli, Genoa, Udinese, Monza, and then Torino, Salernitana. But then a, a lot of um, other games with goals, with goals in them. We'll, we'll get to our we'll get to our own ones. But I mean, a couple I wanted to pick out really were that battle for the the fourth yes. um, European place is going to be is going to be really is going to be really exciting. Bologna. Biffing up, biffing up Sassuolo, who just look hopeless, unfortunately for them. And then in Napoli, getting a getting a win as well. And Atalanta, too, putting Lazio to the sword, which that, that was a big game. And Charles de Ketelaar hitting form now. You know what we didn't see. It shows that a a change of a change of club um, can be a good thing for a player. And, and Atalanta seemed to be finding 
that kind of you know Gasparini attacking form. So you know a lot a lot of teams hitting hitting form in that in that chasing group. Did did anything catch your eye out of those games in particular, Matt? No, well, just on De, Ca- De Catalara. I mean, I suppose he came with a reputation, so you had to think that he was better than he was last season at Milan. And I, I think last season. It was one of those situations where he got a bad start. He missed a couple of horrendous chances, and then you know psychologically it seemed to get too much for him at that point. So you know moving to Atalanta seems to have done the trick. Um, and and he, he he I still don't think he looks like some sort of world beater, but he's definitely improved a lot. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if if he can continue that. I mean the the other one, uh, Napoli. Again, pretty unconvincing to me, uh, scraping a win against Verona. Mazzocchi, uh, after his nightmare debut, did get the assist on the the, the, win, the late winner. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a tight race for fourth place. There's no doubt about that. I think there are a number of teams that, that could grab it, but perhaps not, perhaps not your own. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. I'll get to them in a sec. The only thing I was wanting to say was, was Farascalia looked like he was back on song for Verona, for Napoli against Verona. I felt a bit sorry for Verona because it was their own old player, Cyril Ngonge, that, that yeah. got Napoli back into the free. And it just seems like Verona have just sold everyone in the transfer window, really. So, you know, to make their 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 plight um, more difficult but yeah, Farrakskalia look and presumably going to get Ozymen back so that does bolster Napoli's challenge for that spot but as you as you painfully <laughs> highlighted um, Fiorentina did um, manage to throw away, I mean they're now without a win this year um, uh, they did manage to get through in the cup which was, which was great but um, a performance at Lecce, which you know, I was saying to you before we started the recording, that I try to look beyond just results to see how a team's actually performing. You know, because sometimes a result can um, be a bit false. And I, and I think you know, I think I did say on the pod in the past that some of Fiorentina's results in the run up to Christmas were a bit, you know, fortunate. They they showed a lot of character. But they didn't show a lot of great football yeah. and they were winning games 1-0. They were defending well. It was backs to the wall kind of stuff at times. They rode their luck. But unfortunately, luck only lasts so long. And, it, 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 you know, it was a strange game at, at Lecce because in a way, you know, they end up, Lecce probably deserved to win, certainly deserved a draw out of the game. Um, the first half, Fiorentina were almost unwatchable. Lecce could easily have been... A few goals ahead, they did the best impression of the partner of the Red Sea with their defensive wall um, for, for Lecce's first goal. So Teal kind of jumping out the way over the top of the ball. Uh, but but then, you know, worked their way back into the game more by good fortune than brilliance, really. Although Mandragora scored a lovely goal and then Beltran does did what he seems to like to do, which is sort of knocking a goalkeeper's clearance off his yeah. knee. And, and at that point, you know, they had the game under control. Lecce looked a bit out of ideas and it was all going so well until we got to um, injury time when uh, I had some sympathy for Balanzola. I mean, everyone was back defending. 
he tried to clear a ball, which I think there was probably a man behind him in an offside position, so he had to try and clear it. But inadvertently, he served up a perfect assist for Piccoli to make it 2-2. And that that would have been painful enough, but the pain did not stop there, as the, the Fiorentine defence then, as alluded to in the intro, um, went AWOL and, and Lecce got their winner. And that, you know, flipping it round, Big, big win for Lecce, definitely a big step um, towards avoiding relegation. But for Fiorentina, a, a, a hammer blow, I would say, to, to certainly to thoughts of that top four um, positions, if indeed those were, ever, those were ever likely. And what was annoying, really, for a lot of Fiorentina fans, I think, was we've been in this position before where Fiorentina have been looking good in the league, competing on three fronts and just crying out for an investment in January to kind of take that step forward. Um, And instead, yes, they brought in Faraoni, who's looked okay. Yes, Gallo Bellotti came in and he did hit the the crossbar. That would have made it 3-1. And at, at that point, I think even Fiorentina would have struggled to throw it away. But still, they they were not the... I mean, they were in the running, apparently, or, or certainly interesting in Goodmanson from Genoa. And, you know, that would have been the kind of signing that would have really excited fans, I think. But instead, you know, yes, Belotti could be needed, but it just felt that that big step forward, you know, the the, the investment that was needed to kind of ensure that maybe this season they came away with one of their three objectives um, wasn't made and now you know it's hard not to be a bit more pessimistic without a win in the calendar year and um, you know there's still games coming up that are eminently winnable they could turn the corner they have got decent players but it's just uh, the start in 11 puzzled me a bit as well put in Enzola with Beltran and then he ended up with Nzola playing wide and Gallo and Beltran all on at the same time. Seemed idea seemed a bit confused in the football. The football wasn't great. And as I say, as we've mentioned, there are teams around them now who are in much better form and look better equipped to to challenge for Europe. So that that was my that was my misery. But but what about yours, Marco? <laughs> well, so it was the Derby to tell you first v second in Serie A and it was first v second Parma against Venezia yesterday in Serie B but um, before I get to that it had been a bad week for Venice, Venezia anyway because uh, on the second last day of the transfer window we suddenly out of the blue sold Dennis Johnson uh, Johnson who has been you know after putting up with him for years not performing this season he starts to perform and we immediately sell him to the first club that comes along and not only the first club a direct rival in Cremonese for promotion um uh, you know is uh, have we seen this before perhaps um but uh, you know and then there's then it turned out as well that there was also a ban on tra- we're under some sort of fifa transfer ban because of some cock up with the Cuisance transfer that had been kept quiet throughout the whole of January until the end. Um, so the fans are pretty unsettled by that. Uh, Vanoli was clearly pissed off that Johnson had been allowed to be sold um, at the press conference. And, you know, it was a press conference where 
you got the impression that he won't be hanging around very long, uh, unfortunately, I think, if, if that's the way they're going to act. Um, there is talk of new investors in March, but we'll see if that actually happens. But against that background, it was a big game, obviously, against Parma. Parma, uh, clear leaders at the top. Um, and they started, Parma, to be fair, started at 100 miles an hour. Uh, first 20 minutes, we couldn't really cope with them. And they went a goal ahead. But we then grabbed a goal back from Palo, a brilliant piece of athleticism to, to stretch and get the ball and get the ball in the net. Um, and after that, I felt that, yeah, Parma maybe still dominated the ball, but we did have as many chances as Parma, more chances even throughout the game. And it was Parma, we got to injury time, Parma got a man sent off for diving in, but then the ref reviewed it on VAR and decided it was only a yellow. Whether it was a clear and obvious error, I'm not sure, because the man did dive in, but he just didn't happen to catch the shin quite as high as the ref thought. But anyway, it was Di Chiara that got sent off. He then wins a corner, takes a corner, that then leads to Parma's uh, winning goal in the 100th minute of the game. So, um, yeah, that, that was that, pretty good. That, that, does, that does sound more painful than mine, to be <laughs> fair. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that, Marco, because that does sound excruciating. It looked like a game of about a thousand corners. Every I watched the highlights. Everything seemed to, seemed to be a lot of corners taken. I thought your goalkeeper had a... Good game yeah, he, made some. He, he made a couple of great saves. Made some. Fair. Made yeah. some good. Made some good saves. But it does. Does uh, it's a horrible feeling when January pulls the rug from under you, really. And I mean, you know, Dennis Johnson almost sponsored by this podcast. Really, yeah. we've probably spoken about him more than his own family does. So it's a shame that he's now going to a wilderness at Cremonese, where we'll never, we'll never speak of him again. And uh, you know, and a, a bad weekend, I guess, because you know there were some other results that didn't go Venezia's way as well. So you know, a bit of a bit of a blow. I noticed that we're, you know, in contrast to Venezia, Como bringing in Strefeza, who's yeah. a you know a quality quality player for Serie A even, mm-hmm. um, and he scored the scored the winner for them this weekend. So you know, it, it does seem that there are other you know we've spoken of their ambition. Before they look like a club um, heading in the right direction, and you know that must be galling as well. I guess for you know Venezia up there contending, and instead of strengthening, they're apparently, although as you say, not allowed to strengthen as it turns out. But you know, at least at least if you can't strengthen, then don't weaken your team. Exactly. I mean, like, and unfortunately, we just don't have that depth because. You know, we, I mean, Vanoli made some odd choices. We started with Gikir and Poyan Palo, and then in the 80th, 83rd minute, okay, near the end of the game, but the, we all knew there was going to be a lot of injury time because there had been a clash of heads. He took off, he had already taken Gikir off, he took Poyan Palo off and left us with no striker on the pitch. So suddenly, in that last period, we were just asking Parma to come towards us. And even then, we almost held out. But yeah, it seemed a bit of an odd decision. And I don't know if it was almost a, 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 a you know, a message to the club to say, look, look, now I'm having to bring on Olivieri, who's a huge waste of space um, and can't do anything. And so we've got a little option there, unfortunately, now. I mean, it, it was... 
in fairness, a hell of a strike to win it was, the game. It was. I mean, you know, the, 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 we we could. I mean, have I would not. I turned the TV off immediately. So. <laughs> we could easily have been. We could easily have been talking about a draw here. I think because that that yeah. was a was a worldy, and uh, see, I felt a lot of sympathy for Joran and Ingles because he had defied them on a number of times, and he made a valiant effort to get across to it. But it was one of these, just you know one in a million hits that um, threads through a lot of ruck of players yeah. really and finds the finds the, the corner or whatever. I won't dwell on that description any longer though because that feels <laughs> like that feels like turning the knife. But what's what's next on the horizon for Venezia? Does it get any easier? Well it must get easier surely than well, playing yeah, Parma away. Parma. I mean like again it's Serie B though, so I mean even looking at Parma I thought they looked they looked good. But I didn't think this is a team that's going to go on and win all their games. So I thought when it was a draw, you know, I thought, well, maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. But we've got Sud Tirol next who aren't having the same type of season they did last season. But again, it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one. Um, but in, tr- in terms of the matches we've got coming up um, or t- even to the end of the season, we, we I would say we have on paper, an easier run-in than a lot of these other teams. We've got Como at the start of March. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've we've played a lot of the bigger teams. So, I don't know. We'll see. But there's no doubt that our, like Fiorentina, I suppose, a bit, our football has, has gone off a bit. Um, uh, and the results have been a bit up and down. So, uh, and with everything that's happened, I just don't know if the if the same spirit is there that there was before, um, which I think was carrying us a lot this season. Yeah, so, that yeah. certainly sounds sounds maybe hard for Vanoli to keep the enthusiasm that he had if he's seeing his, his, his players going west or whatever, you know, that, that he may have a, a vision in mind for how he wants you to play, but it's not so easy if you don't have the players to execute that plan right enough you know and it's amazing how quickly in Italy especially these things turn sour from from all being hunky-dory but fingers crossed that's not the case that still still got Puyan Palo still looks yeah, you yeah. see it was a lovely finish so that was that that was good but we'll be here for every um, bump along the road <laughs> along the road towards I mean it, it, as we as we know Serie B is a league that gives you hope because the Promotion playoff places go down to about fifteenth position, so you know there's there's still hope, um, but but you need to steady the ship pretty pretty quickly. Be- before we finish, Marco, I wanted to, it seems like it's almost like a sort of somber duty to pay tribute to someone at the end of an episode. But I don't know if you saw today for Fiorent. I mean, it was a bad weekend for Fiorentina already, and it finished. Worst um, all-time top scorer for Fiorentina alongside Gabriel Batistuta, Kurt Hamrin, who was a, a legend of the 1960s, late 50s, early 60s for Fiorentina, passed away. He'd lived a good old life. He, he actually ended up living in Tuscany. He liked it so much. He stayed there. But he was remembered as one of the, the lions of Ibrox um, because Fiorentina's only uh, European title, the Cup Winners' Cup, came in a two-legged win over over Glasgow Rangers 1961 and my father was at that game and fondly remembers 
Amarin doing keepy-uppies along the line while giving the fingers to the, the <laughs> Rangers supporters. So, you know, any man that does that, I think, is is worth remembering on the on the Rigori podcast. So just uh, just a, a wee a wee moment of tribute there to Kurt Hamrin, the, the Cellino, the little bird they called him, a great, great player. He scored 203 goals for Fiorentina and he wasn't even a striker, he was a winger. So, you know, and, and at a yeah. time when um, Italian defences were stern, how... We could use the likes of him now. That's the that's the that's the line. I think instead you know. Of Icone. Yeah, yeah. Instead of Icone, instead of Sotil, instead of instead of any number of misfiring wingers. But uh, but but there we go. So rest rest in peace, Kurt Hamrin. But anyway, uh, that's that's maybe a suitably sombre note to finish this episode on because it's been a it been a particularly grumpy weekend. I mean, and stretched out right over the weekend as well, from yeah. starting on Friday night and extending over the whole over the whole weekend. But you know, we could have chickened out. It was tempting. We <laughs> could have. We could have found an excuse. But here we are. We manned up and we came in, and I think that's what our listeners have come to have come to expect. So, if you enjoyed listening to us being miserable and expect more of that throughout the season, then please let people know, share share the podcast, tell tell your friends about it, put it on social media because that's the only way that um, we get more more listeners for this excruciating pain that we put ourselves through. So, you know, please share and we'll be back again next week. Maybe maybe a win for Fiorentina, the first one of 2024. I don't know. I don't ask much. If I could get one, that would be that would be great. But uh, anyway, we'll be back next week. And it's as always, it's been a pleasure despite the pain, Marco. Yes, indeed. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye.